HTJ.tax, the international tax firm for six, seven, and eight-figure investors and entrepreneurs who are living that international life. Are you ready? Great. Welcome to uh, a, a weekly live stream. We do this probably every week. We, we speak about international tax issues from a, a private client to an individual perspective. So, okay. Oops. All right. What I need to do, hold on. Could we stop sharing screen oh, for sure. just two seconds? Yeah. I just yes, need to do right. some housekeeping. So I'm going to mute. All right. Because I was getting a little bit of feedback there. Okay, meet participants and entry. Okay, great. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Bunyip. Okay, so welcome again. Uh, thanks for joining us, HGDR Tax. Member of Moore's Ruling, so member of the Moore's Ruling Asia Pacific. Those who are unfamiliar with our practice, we have just over 30 offices in 14 countries across Asia. So that's as far north as Tokyo and Beijing, all the way down to Sydney and Melbourne. Of course, we sitting in Singapore, and today we have the honor and privilege of having a great conversation with our colleague, Boone Yip, who's going to talk to us about Singapore tax issues. And I'm, typically what I'd have done historically is I'd jump into the U.S. side and give a bit of a presentation, but feedback from you guys, because this, this is for you. Uh, is that you prefer the Q&A. So you guys did submit questions in advance. Those who did email them, at least up to the last hour or so, we did get them. They're in the queue. And we will get to them in the order in which you send them. Uh, please forgive us. We have limited time if we're not able to get into every single question that you send in. If you still have questions, don't be afraid. I mean, Bunyip may answer them in the course of his presentation, but otherwise just type them in the box below. If you're on Zoom or if you're on Facebook, you could just type in the box below and we get to them in the order in which they are received. Now, we, are, we all have professional licenses and it's obviously it's impossible to give proper actionable advice over a Zoom call, right? It just, it just makes zero sense, right? So you need to treat this as an information session at the end of which you will walk away with the key issues that you would need to engage your own advisors. So this is not to constitute advice. This, you can consider it entertainment or you can just consider it an opportunity to pick up key factors, key issues that you need to take to your advisory team. Right, so we're not giving advice, and that that's that's really important. And for those who were kind of submitting uh, questions about investments, in in Singapore, investment advice is strictly regulated by the Monetary Authority of Singapore. So, unfortunately, we're going to swim in our lane, and we're going to speak about tax issues, not investment issues. Uh, apologies for that. This is being recorded. If you do not want your image to repair in that recording, just keep your camera switched off. For those who have to leave early, because some of you said you have to leave early, or you couldn't make it because of a, a work clash or, or whatever, this is being recorded and it'll be available on our website, on YouTube, and over 23 other platforms. So basically, wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, Google Play, Amazon, wherever you get your favorite podcast, this will be available. So you can always pick it up and play it after. 
So don't don't worry. Everything is going to be recorded. So without further ado, I turn you over to Bunia. Bunia, over to you. Uh, thank you, thank you, Darren. So good evening to everyone. So it's nice to have um, this session again. So uh, if uh, any one of you all who attended uh, the similar session probably six months ago, so this is a second series uh, with a little bit of the updates. So in the interest of time, so let me just quickly go through uh, this. All right, so just a little bit of, I mean, do you all see my screen? Uh, I hope so, right? Okay, let's, okay, so let's uh, go through just a little bit uh, about Singapore. So for those who uh, didn't know, so Singapore, uh, if you look at the demographic here, so it's among the top countries in terms of uh, efficient government, uh, in terms of least corruption and uh, uh, some of the key index, uh, Singapore are among the, the top five. So, okay, just a little bit. So, okay, today we are talking about uh, taxes for expats and uh, entrepreneurs. So I will just go through the key uh, 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 point of uh, taxes that relates to entrepreneurs and uh, of course, uh, um, individuals, okay? So, all right, so for entrepreneurs, so if you're starting a business, uh, probably you have uh, structures that you have to consider. You need to establish a permanent establishment in Singapore. So that comprise uh, a company limited by shares, by guarantee, partnership, and LLP, branch, uh, Singapore representative office, right? And sole proprietorship. Okay, these are the structures where you set up a permanent establishment in Singapore. And uh, with this structure, obviously, uh, you are talking about taxes. Okay, so um, business structure, of course, there are a few things that you have to uh, understand and know. Uh, throughout the process of pre-registration, um, on the decision of the business structure, it very much depends on uh, your trade. So um, the most common are private limited companies. So uh, that's the most common structure in Singapore because um, for private limited company, you get access to most of uh, uh, the tax incentives uh, in Singapore, right? So completion of uh, know your client form. So yes, this is uh, one of the key areas that is, uh, um, I mean, not just Singapore, also the world has been uh, gearing up on the compliance issue uh, things including uh, money laundering and uh, um, terrorist financing, counter-terrorist financing. So they have gone through a very strict uh, um, regime on uh, customer due diligence. So this also applies to bank. So bank uh, opening in Singapore is uh, not that easy as in the past. So uh, the same regime uh, applies to the bank. Right. So, yes, submissions of legal documents, uh, your passports, um, your ICs, things like that uh, for registration. Okay, so in Singapore, incorporation of companies, uh, if your documents are complete, uh, it takes, I would say, uh, not more than a week. 
the fastest is one or two days, right? Uh, but yeah, just now I was talking about opening bank accounts. Um, is uh, is getting more and more difficult. So it's getting more and more uh, bureaucratic. So it takes a long time to go through the process, uh, mainly because there are a lot of levels of uh, bureaucracy in the bank. So it takes up to a month. Uh, but in Singapore, we are the panel uh, banker. The, we have we work with panel banker, UOB and OCBC. So we get, uh, I would say, a little bit more uh, favorable in terms of uh, the acceptance, as in uh, they have already gone through our uh, due diligence process. So the clients that we refer, obviously, uh, they will uh, take a, a lesser time to look into it. Uh, okay, post-registration, so we're talking about work passes, get your stuff in, right, and yourself, get your status staying in Singapore. So that, uh, I'll, I'll share a bit more about that later on. So things like, depending on your uh, trades, so if you are, you, you may need licenses, uh, permits, right? If you are running a restaurant, obviously you may need uh, different types of license, right? and uh, application of GST, uh, that again, uh, it depends, okay, voluntary or mandatory, right? So um, let's move on. Okay, briefly, what is taxable? Okay, so in Singapore, gains or profits from any trade or business, they are taxable. Income from investments, such as dividend, interest and rental, uh, royalty premium, and other profits from property and other gains that is revenue in nature, right? So essentially, these are the category of uh, income that is taxable in Singapore. Okay, so when is taxable? It's on a accrual basis uh, or derived from Singapore or when income is remitted. All right, so uh, just to quickly go through. So these are the pre post uh, um, uh, registration uh, procedure. So not to worry, I will share out these uh, slides. So, um, okay, just now I was uh, talking about what is taxable and what is not, right? So I think I go a bit too far, right? Okay, so yes, uh, when is it taxable? So um, when is accrued or derived from Singapore and when is the income is remitted? in Singapore, right? This section is, is quite uh, huge, is unable to complete in this session. So um, you need a separate session to discuss about uh, this. But essentially, uh, if you look at these two categories, okay, these are where you, you determine the point of taxability. And what is non-taxable? Uh, in Singapore, there's no capital gain tax. Uh, dividend income is not taxable. Foreign source income, uh, foreign source dividend, branch profits, and service income received by a resident subject to meeting criteria. Okay, company gains on disposal of equity uh, under Section 13Z and non trade nature, right? And shipping. Okay, Singapore is, uh, is a hub for uh, shipping, so there are a lot of uh, uh, areas in shipping incomes are, are exempted from tax. Okay, these are primarily a uh, shipping related tax. So it's a specialized industry. Okay, so 
Sorry, could you could you go back to that previous slide? This I think yeah, I think this is a really, really important slide. And I think this is it's so good that this is being recorded so people can pause and really study this. Because I tell you, probably every probably twice a week we get a query on this where people are saying, you know what? I receive money outside. I'm based in Singapore. I'm on an employment pass, I'm on whatever PR, whatever. And or even a Singaporean citizen. And they may say, well, I'm doing business with the US and my client is in the US. If my client, if I set up a, uh, some sort of LLC, some sort of entity in the US and, and I receive it into a bank account out there, it's not going to be taxed by Singapore. And I try to explain to them that, you know what, this is derived from Singapore because you're sitting in Singapore and you're performing the service in Singapore. So even though you're getting paid in Malaysia or Dubai or in the US, it doesn't matter. It's taxable to Singapore. And I, it, it got so bad one time, someone was shouting at me and he put down, you know, he slammed down the phone on me because he couldn't believe that this, I mean, this is a concept that is so easily misunderstood. So I'm really glad that, that you know, we get a shine, we get to shine a light on this because this is super important. So guys, please pay special importance to this. So yeah, thank you, Bunya. Yeah, thanks, Darren. So if anyone of you all uh, would need a further um, advice on this area, uh, feel free to connect with us. Uh, yes, what, what Darren said, uh, is uh, is correct. So this is not uh, just uh, merely look at uh, where uh, your 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 sitting. So it's where the income is from and base. Okay. All right. So uh, briefly, tax rates in Singapore. So it's quite low and attractive if you look at it. Uh, effectively, we are talking about. Uh, from 4% up to uh, uh, less than 15% for a million of uh, chargeable income uh, you had. So it's quite attractive. Uh, we're talking about lowest in the regime. Uh, tax regime in uh, the region is uh, Hong Kong uh, at 16.5%. So it's still higher than uh, Singapore, right? So... Tax calendar, so uh, it's quite straightforward. So you have uh, an estimated chargeable income, which is due three months after the end of the financial year. So this depends on your financial year. And the annual tax submission, this is due every November for all companies. So take for instance, if you have a year end in uh, 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 January year end, you have you enjoy the longest uh, time to file your tax. So essentially, up to almost uh, the next November, right? So almost like uh, two years. Okay. Um. All right. Okay. Individual tax. Again, what is taxable and not? Uh, employment income, obviously. Trade, business, profession. Uh, vocation, yes, this is uh, earlier I mentioned uh, sole proprietor, uh, partnership, yes, these are all under uh, individual tax. So I know certain jurisdictions are a little bit different. Uh, partnership as in uh, LLP, 
right? Is uh, maybe taxable under a, a different regime, but uh, for Singapore, in Singapore, the jurisdiction is these are all considered uh, individual tax. So what happened is the partnership doesn't have, uh, it's not a separate legal entity as in uh, for tax purpose. So the taxes will be cal calculated and go into your personal tax, the partner's tax. Uh, property or investment. Um, other income source. Yeah, these are annuities, royalties, winning estate trust, right? So what is non-taxable? Overseas income even received in Singapore by individual, uh, you need not declare. So what happens is if you are an individual uh, and you earn interest from overseas, uh, it's not taxable. Uh, unlike a company is taxable. So that is something uh, very different. So Singapore dividend income, except cooperative. So very rarely you get cooperative uh, dividend, uh, but that is taxable. Okay, interest income received from approved bank and licensed finance companies, uh, interest from debt securities and inheritance. Okay, these are all not taxable. So I go back on interest income received from bank and licensed finance companies. So uh, if you were to receive income from private source, uh, actually it's taxable because it's not licensed. So the keyword is license. So whatever licensed financial institution in Singapore, uh, where you put your money in and you earn interest is not taxable for individual. Uh, okay, individual tax rates. Uh, okay, comparing with uh, corporate, uh, individual has a higher tax tier. So if you look at the highest tier, is at 22%. Um, it's relatively high compared with uh, some of the countries in the region. Um, because Singapore, if you look at Singapore economy, uh, it really depends on... Uh, um, corporate. So they support SME a lot. They provide a lot of incentives to SME. Uh, access are low. So they have to finance by some way. So this is one of it. Uh, individual tax, you, you get tax higher. That means uh, if you are, if you are uh, wealth, wealthy enough, so you have to pay higher tax. Uh, but it's still attractive enough for the high net worth uh, to move their assets down to Singapore, okay? Because Singapore uh, is still considered a favorable uh, tax uh, regime. Tax lender, um, okay, unlike uh, corporate, uh, is, uh, is not so favorable for individual. You have to file your tax every April 15th. Um, other taxes. Just, just a comment on that on, on the slide with the marginal tax rates. Twenty two percent is still pretty good because when you think about Indonesia, marginal tax rate thirty percent, Malaysia thirty percent, Australia, New Zealand up to fifty percent. Same in Europe. So you know it still looks good. And then when you consider as well that Singapore is territorial tax, I think that that makes it particularly attractive compared to like Indonesia. Australia, uh, and so on. So just wanted to put that out there. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Other taxes. So besides, uh, corporate tax and uh, individual tax, 
Uh, obviously, Singapore has also other taxes, uh, indirect taxes, such as uh, withholding tax. So withholding tax uh, is not something new. Uh, is uh, I think withholding tax uh, uh, is applicable in everywhere uh, in Asian countries. So this applies uh, to uh, payment for services, interest, royalties, rental of uh, movable properties. So payment to residents, non, okay. This point is quite important. I would wish to just explain a little bit more. So if you are non-resident director, uh, if you pay yourself a salary or director fee, uh, you will be subject to withholding tax. So this is quite uh, high compared to uh, individual tax. So if you are not a resident uh, director, uh, the advice is not, uh, don't not suggest to have uh, to pay yourself a salary. Let's say this happens very common where entrepreneur they start a company in Singapore, and uh, they normally pay themselves a salary, right? Director fee, and you end up paying. Uh, I think is twenty or twenty percent or twenty two percent. I couldn't remember, but it's quite high compared to uh, individual tax, right? So the advice is to pay yourself dividend and it's zero tax, right? That's good. And uh, it depends on your resident status. If you, if you are Australian, I, I believe you are taxable when you uh, repatriate the dividend. It depends on uh, your resident status. So if you are a shareholder, uh, if you receive a dividend, uh, let's say a neighboring country like Malaysia, I, I believe is not taxable. Okay, mm. so for at the individual level. Right. So foreigners, uh, PR, withdrawing of uh, SRS, uh, this is something to do with the pension in, in Singapore. So distribution of uh, REIT, okay, yeah. Um, okay, so these are the withholding taxes. And uh, just briefly, yeah, just now I was talking uh, director fee, let's see. Okay, fees uh, 15%, right, 15%. So uh, if you look at uh, royalty payments, well, it's 22%. So these are uh, the rates, it's published uh, rates uh, at the IRAS website. Okay, payment to non-resident, 22%. Yeah, uh, payment to non-resident professional, 15%. Uh, yes, public entertainers, 10%. Commission royalty, 3%. Okay, so other areas such as, uh, these are incentives. So we are now talking about incentives. Um, you have, Singapore have this uh, international HQ, whereby you can actually get concession tax rates uh, down to a minimum of 5%. Uh, but normally it's not so easy. So if you were to get down at such a low concession rate, uh, you probably ask to do a lot of things, uh, spending, things like that. Uh, m and yeah, M&A is quite interesting. So if you do acquisition of a, a value up to 40 million uh, per assessment, you can get a, a tax exemption okay, based on uh, M&A allowance. Uh, double tax deduction for internationalization, right? So if you do a market expansion uh, to overseas, growing your business, uh, the government gives you incentives for doing that. 
GTP uh, or global trader programs, this is quite interesting. So a lot of my clients are actually going for GTP. They are really big trading company uh, in commodity. So what happened is I have uh, quite a fair bit of Chinese uh, client. Um, they are doing commodity trading. So they, they love Singapore. So they come to Singapore because of this. Okay, so those bigger companies, uh, of course, uh, five to 10% depends on your spending, depends on your local uh, recruitment of uh, local uh, people, local citizen, yeah, among the, the requirement. So we're talking about um, 5%. Okay, I just quote a case, uh, 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 my client, they were asked to spend... Uh, uh, 300,000 uh, in spending. Yes. And uh, they, no, sorry, 30. They were asked to recruit 30 people and uh, they were asked to spend uh, uh, 3 million a year on uh, banking, uh, transactions, uh, expense. Uh, but they definitely have the volume. So they have uh, over a billion dollars of uh, revenue. So they use a lot of facilities. So incur a lot of uh, bank uh, uh, charges, uh, bank transactions fee, things like that. So that includes. Okay, incentive for internationalization. So there are double tax deduction scheme for internationalization that allows company expanding overseas uh, to claim a double deduction uh, for eligible expenses. Okay. So yes, this is something that is uh, to the government is encouraging uh, companies going abroad. Okay, R&D expense, uh, obviously uh, uh, this is uh, quite attractive, 250% of qualifying expenditure. Uh, but to get, uh, to qualify for R&D incentive is not so easy. It's quite, uh, it's quite strict in a way. Uh, the bar is quite high. It's difficult to achieve. You have to prove a lot of things, among others, uh, novelty, right? So it's sometimes, often, it's difficult to prove. Okay, so IPA. So this is pertaining to intellectual property. So Singapore is among the top countries in protecting IP. So they encourage uh, you to bring down the IP uh, within Singapore and they give you incentives for that. Uh, Okay, so the IP incentive. Fund management incentive. All right, fund management incentive is something about the fiduciary uh, services. So we're talking about family offices. I think I have a slide about that. Let me see. Yes. Okay, let's... let's uh, okay, in this, right, you have... Uh, obviously, if you're doing fund management activities uh, under the family office regime, you will get tax exemption. So need not pay any tax from your income. Um, okay, GIP program, just now I was saying, this is um, really open to those who wants to get resident status in Singapore, whereby through the GIP program. Uh, is in a way, is quite safe to say that if you, are, if you qualify for this program, you'll get a, a PR, uh, but it's not so easy to achieve as the bar is quite high. So if you look at uh, the qualifying criteria, uh, it's self-explanatory, okay? Uh, you see something like annual turnover of 500 million, things like that. 
So again, it's not so easy to achieve. It's, it's not so popular these days uh, because uh, it's rather difficult to achieve. Okay. Okay, so family office, this is something uh, which is gaining momentum in Asia, uh, not just uh, Singapore, also in other uh, countries in Asia, such as Hong Kong. Uh, family office is not something very new. Uh, it's already a very long history in Europe. So majority of the family offices are set up in Europe. Uh, I will just briefly go through. So the main uh, reason is to focus on managing family assets, uh, consolidating, preserving family assets. So if you look at uh, families like uh, the, the Kwok family, uh, okay, they, they started uh, in Hong Kong, they started in Malaysia, in Hong Kong, in Singapore, and they go everywhere, right? So they have been doing this for quite some time. It's not something new, okay? So if you see, they have already established, uh, they already have uh, uh, the business uh, segment uh, between hospitality, transport, uh, plantations, things like that, right? So yes, it's the past it has been something for the really uh, high net worth. But you know, nowadays we see more and more uh, people enter this uh, market because uh, there, there are needs, okay? So uh, the, the wealth has increased. Distribution wealth has also balanced up. So we see a lot more coming in, uh, not just for those really filthy rich, right? So typically these are the, on my right, so these are the structure of a family office uh, involves a trust, uh, the family members under a trust, then you have a holding company and the family office is where the fund manager sits and uh, do the investments. Okay. So, okay, this, this has just been updated probably uh, uh, since I think uh, in, in, in April. Yeah, it's been updated in April. So nothing much changes except for the business spending uh, and the asset under management. So it increased uh, the, the spending cap and of course uh, the asset under management requirement, right? So the rest of it are quite similar. And uh, okay, these are the service that we do for uh, family office. Uh, Okay, so I, I'm not going to share in uh, detail. So, okay, quickly on work passes. Uh, okay, this has been updated just recently. So uh, the minimum criteria to get an employment pass is 5,000 a month. I think it's up from 4,005. And uh, semi-skilled worker up from uh, 2,005 to 3,000, right? So nothing changed for this. Uh, trainees, students, yes, family members. Um, yep, nothing changed. And ah, okay, this is something very new. Uh, just, I think, just probably three days ago, it was an, uh, uh, announced in the parliament, right? So this is called a one pass. Um, it's given to uh, individual with thirty thousand uh, a month salary, but of course there are a lot more criteria to meet. Uh, not just that, so something like uh, 
uh, you, you must be working in, in a company with uh, high market cap of, uh, I couldn't remember the amount, I think 500 million, something like that with revenue uh, criteria, things like that. So uh, this pass allow, is unattached pass. So allow you, uh, with this pass, uh, you, you are allowed to come into Singapore to get a residence. Uh, that means you can stay and work in Singapore. Okay. So this is not going to be effective until January 2023. So uh, they will publish more details later. Uh, okay, a little bit <clears throat> about where we are. Just so just now, Darren was saying that we are in the 14 countries. So this here are where, where we are. And okay, uh, this is a short of uh, our service. And uh, okay, that's it, that's it from me. Okay, wonderful. Thank you for that pretty comprehensive overview. So let's get into the, the fun part now, Q&A. The first question was about CPF. Can you, because uh, whether it be uh, an, a Singaporean citizen who may have US residence, AKA a green card, or who may be uh, up for an assignment in the US or, an American who has moved to Singapore and may take a PR, right? So under certain circumstances, you may be exposed to both jurisdictions and they, the treatment of CPF be, becomes a consideration. But could you provide like an overview what CPF is and basically how it's funded and how it's treated from a, a Singapore tax perspective? Okay, uh, CPF is um, a defined scheme in, in pension scheme in, in Singapore. So essentially, uh, all employers have to contribute. Uh, so do the uh, employees, right? So it works uh, similarly in some countries like Malaysia. So in terms of uh, tax-wise for corporate, uh, they get tax deduction for whatever uh, contribution they made to uh, the employees. And uh, obviously, the, the individuals get a tax deduction at the individual tax level for the contribution they made. Yeah. So it's a pension that uh, for, for uh, PR and above, PR and citizen, right? In the past, uh, many, many years ago, I couldn't remember, I think in Singapore, during the industrialization, I think they, they do give CPF for non-Singaporean, non non-PR, but no longer now, yeah, no mm. longer. Yes. Yeah. Th thanks for that. Yeah. When I arrived in Singapore nine years ago, and I remember some of the, when I started working in practice in Singapore, some of the long-term U.S. citizens working in Singapore did at some point in time have CPF. So that's a point. So we get this question all the time, particularly from Singaporeans who may be moving to the U.S. or from U.S persons in Singapore, whether you be a green card holder or a citizen who may be considering 
PR, a PR application to Singapore, or your PR might just be about to be approved, which may be the case of this person who sent this question through, right? So, you know, as Bunyip says, it is, it will reduce your taxable income from a Singapore perspective, but not from a US perspective. It does not. So, by contributing to CPF from a US tax perspective, unfortunately, cannot. It, it doesn't reduce your taxable income. In addition, the employer contribution to UCPF may be taxable as a benefit to you. So it may increase your U.S. tax liability. And at the end of each year, you log into your CPF account and you get that statement because uh, it works on a calendar year like the U.S. If you have interest, you, any return on the CPF investment, so the interest becomes taxable to you on your Schedule B. The CPF also would appear on your FBARs, so FinCEN 114, which will be your foreign bank account report. We need to include the CPF there as well. And if you go, if your combined financial assets exceed certain thresholds, it may also be on the FATCO form or the form 8938, which forms part of your US tax returns. So the CPF is very important if it is as a US person and you're considering to become, I mean, it's, it's, it presents itself as a slightly uh, additional compliance burden from a U.S. perspective, but of course, the returns on that investment is, you know, depending on your situation, of course, but it probably makes it all worthwhile. So good luck in your PR application. Uh, I hope that answers your question. I mean, for next, more, uh, go ahead. Sorry, sorry, just to add on a little bit, just uh, uh, for, for uh, foreigners, so PR who uh, leave the country for good for Singapore mm -hmm. and yeah. give up their resident status can actually get back uh, from the CPF mm. board all the money, right? But that's not a yeah. applicable. That that that's that's a great point. That it is if it is that you know for whatever reason you you decide to leave Singapore. It is you. You can cash out, and that and that happens all the time. We 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 see that when someone, for whatever reason, things don't work out in Singapore, and you return to the U.S., you can cash it out. And because you were declaring it every year on your U.S. return, so it's after-tax income, so you get it tax-free. You take it and, and and you move with it. So yeah, that's a great point. Thanks, Bunyan, for that. Uh, next question. This person. He or she asked to remain anonymous. So, okay, we won't call your name, of course. So your question is, if I let my child stay in a property that I own in the U.S. and also use the property myself occasionally, how would it impact on your U.S. taxes? You didn't, Mr. or Ms. Anonymous, you didn't identify whether you are a U.S. person or not, whether you're a U.S. green card holder or citizen. So I'm going to assume that you are, right? So I'm going to assume that you're American and that you are based in Singapore. Now, if it is that you have a, a son or daughter that is studying in the U.S. Or, or for whatever reason living in the U.S. and they stay in a property you own, this is so common because, of course, the U.S. is a destination of choice, universities for, uh, for young people. Singapore wanted to study abroad, so this is completely normal. And it does happen that compared to the price of condos in Singapore, uh, real estate in the US may be considerably cheaper, right? So you, you take the opportunity to invest, right? Why have your son or daughter rent when they can live somewhere that you own? So this is completely, this is completely normal. Uh, there is, there should be 
no U.S. tax consequences aside from property tax or whatever. But assuming that you are American, however, depending on what state you're in, by having a property available for your use, uh, and again, it's very state specific. So depending on what state your son or daughter is in, you need to have a conversation with a competent advisor. Because, for example, I'm just being random, like New York, proper popular destination. By if your child is at NYU, Columbia, Cornell, by having that uh, that apartment or you know that co-op available for your use in New York, and you're a U.S. citizen you may trigger tax residency in New York. Even though you're not there, maybe you just pop in for a couple of weeks a year to see how things are, to catch up with the kids. But by having that property available for your use, you may trigger state taxes. So that's that's a key thing to, to, to look at. Assuming that you are American in Singapore, by having that property available for your use, it may trigger state tax liability and the state may seek to tax you on your worldwide income. So I don't know your specific circumstances, so you can feel free to reach out to us or whoever your preferred advisor is to talk that through because you're right, there may be implications and it's good that you, you're thinking ahead like that. Next question, do I need to stay a certain number of nights to show that it's for you? Yeah, that, so just even if you don't go to the US at all and you remain in Singapore as a, as a US person, citizen or green card holder, it may lead to a, a tax liability at the state level. However, you didn't mention, but if it is that you are not American, you're just 100% Singaporean and you have no US green card, then it should not trigger any tax liability to you. Just owning a property and it's not income producing. So a relative, in this case, the kids are staying there. That's no problem. But if you are American, yes. So, okay. Mr. or Ms. Anonymous, I hope that answers your question. If not, feel free to type more in the box below, or you can just shoot us an email and we can have a consult. So moving on. Okay, I'm a US citizen working in Singapore for a Singapore company. Okay, if you're a US citizen working in Singapore for a Singapore company, what salary is subjected to US taxes? Uh, that's easy. If you are a US citizen, no matter whether you're in Seattle or Singapore, the IRS really doesn't care. You're gonna be subject to taxes on your worldwide income. So that, that that's a pretty easy question. So basically uh, a US citizen tax on your worldwide income, or if you are under section 7701, a green card holder, or you've triggered substantial presence by spending a lot of time in the US, you're subject to taxes on your worldwide income. So that that's that that is axiomatic. It is what it is. So he or she continues. Uh, housing allowances and retirement supplement salary. So are they also subject to U.S. taxes? Yes, you're absolutely correct. You're subject to taxes on your worldwide income. It doesn't matter whether you are in Tennessee or Tanjong Pagar. They. <laughs> the US, the federal government is gonna tax you. So that includes all your benefits. Housing, I, I know if you're one of the few people that are still on an expat package and you get that flight back every year or you get a you know car allowance, uh, school fees for the kids, that may all be taxable. So it's 100% taxable. You'd wanna sit with an advisor to, to talk that through, but generally speaking, yes, 100% taxable. Hope that answers your question. Okay, next one. 
I'm a U.S. citizen who's lived in Singapore for the entirety of 2021. Does that qualify me as a bona fide resident of Singapore? Does that mean that I can travel back to the U.S. for more than 35 days in 2022 without incurring additional taxes? So, right. So just to create context, the, the most attractive benefit of a U.S. person being a U.S. person outside of the U.S. is, of course, the foreign and income exclusion, which is under Section 911. There are two ways of qualifying for that. Uh, one will be the bona fide residence test and another is a physical presence test. And this allows you to exclude, you still declare the money, but it won't be subject to federal taxes. Uh, it moves up with inflation each year. Uh, for 2021, I think it's like 112,000. So when you put in that 112,000 plus your standard deduction, assuming you're married, which is maybe 24, 25,000, plus your housing, assuming that you're renting. So it could be as much as $150,000, $160,000 that you still you report, but it won't be subject to US taxes. So this is a really important benefit. So as we mentioned, the two ways of qualifying the bona fide residence test and the physical presence. The physical presence is objective and quantifiable and it's quantitative. The bona fide residence test is subjective and qualitative. So I'll start with the easy one, which is a PPT, the physical presence test. By virtue of use, basically staying out of the US uh, and not being on, in US airspace for more than 30, 35 days, you qualify to exclude that income as, as we previously mentioned, right? So that, that is just a pure days test, remaining outside of the US and not being in US airspace for more than that uh, aforementioned uh, number of days. The bona fide residence test was one you uh, asked specifically about. And I, I know why you're asking because it is subjective and it is qualitative. You know, it's not black and white. It is, it is a test of intent, if you will. Where's your heart? Where's your center of life? And the, uh, by the questions on Form 2555, they're challenging you to demonstrate that your center of life has moved outside of the U.S. And it, you have done so for a full calendar year from Jan to December. So if it is under this circumstance that you've described that you've been out of the U.S. and you've been a bona, you have been a bona fide resident of Singapore from Jan to December in 2021, then and you've continued to do so flowing into 2022 yes you're absolutely correct so you're not bound by the strict quantitative provisions of the ppt the physical presence test so you can spend a little bit more time in the us but we're talking about shades of gray right your, your center of life must remain in singapore but to answer your question yes the question is now your follow-up question is i'm not seeing you typing but your follow-up question might be how many days that's a test of facts and circumstances. So you need to speak with your advisor on that. But basically, yes, you can spend more than 35 days, generally speaking, in the U.S. without losing your foreign earned income exclusion. I hope that helps. Moving down the list of questions. Okay, mindful of the time, we have 10 minutes left. I got an EP. Okay, right. So you're on an employment pass, and Bunyip went into the employment pass process in Singapore. So good, you're on an EP. And you're working for a Singapore employer, but can you work remotely for your Singapore employer? Absolutely. Okay. All right, great. Glad it does. So can you work remotely for your Singapore employer? Absolutely. That's up to you and your employer. You guys set your terms and what, you know, what are the conditions of your work and you can. Now you're asking if you can work from Bali. 
I'm smiling because we do actually have quite a few clients who do work for Singapore employers, mostly pre-COVID, but now that Indonesia is reopening, people are returning to Bali. You know, I'm seeing stuff on, you know, on, online and Bali is, is coming to life again. So uh, working remotely from Bali, yes, that is absolutely a possibility. And it is quite common to meet many people working for Singapore employers remotely from Bali. So, so the, the question is, what does that do to you from a tax perspective? Well, you're in an EP, so presumably you would still, as the, one of the conditions of your EP, generally speaking, and Bunyip will jump in, is that you are assumed to be tax residents in Singapore, and you should still be subject to taxes in Singapore, even though you may be going back and forth or spending a lot of time in Bali. Am, am, I, am I correct in saying that, Bunyip? Yeah, yeah. Let, let me just explain a little bit more. Okay. So, mm -hmm. actually, your income derived from Singapore. So, uh, where you work uh, is your choice of uh, uh, a working place uh, between you and your, your employer. So, that doesn't dictate where, uh, where the, the location. So, essentially, your income derived from Singapore. So, it's taxable in Singapore. I don't know about it, Bali, whether you're subject to resident uh, tests or what, but in, in any case, you'll be taxed in Singapore. You have right. to so I, Sorry, that, that, that's a great point, uh, you know, uh, Bunyip. And, and to take that further, yeah, and now you're moving from a situation. If it is that you do trigger tax residence in Indonesia, which is a likelihood depending once you cross that 183 days, then you can be subject to taxes in Indonesia, which we mentioned during Bunyip's presentation, is much higher than Singapore. Singapore tops off at 22%. Uh, Indonesia, of which Bali is a part, is 30%. And the graduated rates are... So in other words, you move up the ladder faster than you do in Singapore. So yes, it's a higher tax rate, but for each band, it's going to be higher as well. So be mindful of that. And the immigration laws are very very strict in indonesia i was having a conversation with someone at the u.s embassy in jakarta and he was telling me that they spend uh, an unfortunate amount of time getting americans out of trouble in indonesia because they're working there without permission so and remember it's you know it's not working for an indonesian employee it is working in indonesia without permission so you need to have a conversation uh, with your employer and also with someone who can talk you through the intricacies of Indonesian tax. If you don't have someone, we have a colleague at Moore's Roland in Jakarta and Bali, which is Dickie. He's the head of tax for Moore's Roland. I can introduce you to him and you guys could have that conversation. So I hope that helps. Uh, all right. I'm just going through anybody else. I, I've seen, yes, I've seen that you've asked more questions, but I just want to give somebody else a chance to ask questions as well. So, so right, so I'm just having a look. Okay, so you've gone on to ask, um, okay, Bali, what do I think about Bali? Yeah, I mean, like most people in Singapore have visited Bali. It is a great place to work remotely. 
from a tax point of view, Indonesia is probably one of the more tax disadvantaged jurisdictions in our neighborhood, because as Bunya pointed out, Singapore operates on territorial tax. So you tax on your Singapore source income only as an American. So for example, if you left your rental property behind in California, that is not necessarily going to be taxed by Singapore. And if you sell it, it's not going to be taxed by Singapore. But if it is that you were tax resident in Indonesia, the rental income from your U.S. property is going to be taxed. And if you sold your home in the U.S., it's going to be taxed. And Indonesia also requires that you have a declaration of foreign assets. So you need to declare all your assets in the world on your Indonesian tax return. So it is a pretty aggressive jurisdiction from a tax perspective compared to Singapore, or even compared to Malaysia, which is also residence tax, high marginal tax rate, but it's still uh, territorial tax, sorry. So you're not gonna be taxed on income that arises outside of Malaysia. If, you assume, if you're thinking about Penang or KL, similarly with Thailand, Thailand is a popular destination for remote workers as well. If you have that option of working remotely from your Singapore employer and Thailand also has a form of territorial tax. It's a bit more nuanced, but it does exist. So, you know, Thailand could be an option as well as the Philippines. Uh, as long as you don't hold a Filipino passport as a foreigner working remotely, you again, it could be tax advantage and territorial as well. So there are other options aside from Indonesia, if you're open to it, but of the, those in the neighborhood, Indonesia and by extension, Bali is probably one of the more aggressive ones. So, but of course it, it's obviously more than a tax conversation, but I'm just commenting on the tax side of things. Uh, what else is, you're asking about, okay, now he or she's asking about working remotely from Dubai. Dubai was, has always been popular and it became the Emirates, United Arab Emirates. So all seven Emirates of which Dubai is probably the most famous one became even more popular during uh, the recent health troubles, uh, the, the COVID crisis. And a lot of people did, you know, set up shop in Dubai. And, and I, I have Dubai residents as well. So I go back and forth. It is popular and it's the simplest one because it's not even territorial tax. It's just no taxes, zero tax. So it is a popular jurisdiction. And when they say zero tax, it means zero tax. But because you're American, I'm assuming you're American. Yeah, it makes it simpler, but you don't get away from anything because you still obviously have your U.S. tax returns. Also keep in mind that banking in the Emirates isn't the same as banking in uh, in Singapore. The, the quality of the banks aren't what it is in Singapore. Depending on the nature of your business, the network of tax treaties isn't available to you. And because you're not going to be paying taxes, that creates other issues which we can, we can get into in a consult and probably out of scope for here. But uh, you know, Dubai, if you want to consider Dubai, that that's up to you. It will be simpler from a tax point of view, but there are other complications that you probably need to, to talk through. Okay, next question. If my, and this is the last one because we're coming up to the top of the hour. And thank you guys for sending in questions. Sorry, I'm seeing more questions below, but I'm, I'm, this will be the last one, right? So if my employer is headquartered in the U.S., but doesn't contribute to any pension, what tax efficient retirement options are out there? I'm a US citizen on an EP. Okay, 
you corrected it, EP, right, great. You can still, it's going to be tricky, right? Uh, I'm assuming you're not PR, so therefore the CPF is not an option, right? So you're looking at a retirement uh, contributions, retirement options, right? So you can you can contribute to, to Roths or, or regular IRAs, you can, even though you're outside the US. It's more difficult because many platforms don't like it when you are outside of the US. And the reason is it's not because of the law. I've seen that in other forums. It's not any law. It's because it presents an additional compliance burden to that brokerage firm, that platform. And they don't want the hassle of the additional paperwork and the additional compliance requirements of dealing with Americans outside of the US. So that's why they, you know, they kind of block you. And yes, I, I know that in some forums and some of our clients do tell us that they use VPNs so that they don't know that you're outside, that you're in Singapore. But some of those brokerage firms, they're really good. If HBO Max can figure out that you're on a VPN, I'm sure that uh, Charles Schwab is going to be able to figure it out as well. So Charles Schwab is one of those that doesn't like it when their clients are working outside of the U.S. So the VPN solution is not sustainable. But the bottom line is that, yes, you can contribute to retirement accounts. You just need to find a platform that is expat friendly. If you don't, if you, if you don't know one, I, I don't want to advertise because that's, that's not right forum they they do exist if you shoot me an email i'll privately re reply to that email and I'll give you some options and some advisors that we know that are u.s qualified and that do work with americans outside of the u.s but the answer is yes you can all right great and that's it we're at the top of the hour thank you very much for for, for logging in today and bunyip thank you very much for sharing your, your time and expertise uh, Bunyip and uh, his team of tax, Singapore tax advisors, especially Eddie, they are stars. You know, they're the really complex uh, issues, tax issues, cross-border tax issues facing Americans abroad. Like we've had clients who, we've had quite a few clients this year with complex stock options where it's taxable depending on the situation it's taxable in obviously in the US, in Singapore, and in other jurisdictions, for example, Europe, for those expats who have worked in multiple jurisdictions before getting to Singapore. And we, uh, you know, Bunyip and Eddie are experts in working with IRAS, the Inland Revenue Authority of Singapore, and explaining to them the, the nuances and complexities of, this, of the tax situations like in Europe or in the US and therefore helping many clients save hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars on the Singapore tax bills. So if you, Bunyip has given his contact details, if not, this is recorded so you can always rewind and go back to where it is. Feel free to reach out to, to, his, to him and his team directly. To, to get additional support on if you you know any really complex Singapore tax issues, these guys are all stars. We we really did some big, so, so, some really big clients this year, and we're really proud of the work that we've done, and I'm proud of them as well. So thank you very much, HG.tax. You can see the live streams that we have coming up, and have a good evening, and we see you next time. Bye bye now. Bye. Bye. So if you're a six, seven, or eight-figure investor, entrepreneur, or business owner who needs a tailor-made solution from a qualified team of professionals, 
we can help you achieve the international lifestyle, the freedom, and even the tax savings you're looking for. Visit us at htj.tax and live that international life.